The OSS Cubed is back from February 25th to March 25th. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, February 25th, and it's bringing to the table over $15 million in guarantees over four weeks. Yep, that's $15 million, our most exciting endeavor yet, with three massive main events. We're talking three consecutive tourney series, and it all starts with Moss, our mini online super series, beginning February 25th. Then, on March 5th, our flagship OSS, that's Online Super Series, drops. And on March 19th, The Boss, the bigger Online Super Series. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. And with the weekly Million Dollar Sunday Tournament, it's something you can't afford to miss. Moss, OSS, or Boss? Whether you choose one or all, this is absolutely huge, and it's waiting for you at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 170 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com, join the Facebook group, at facebook.com slash group slash one hour. This episode and all of the previous episodes are on onehour.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at onehour.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 170, how are you? I'm good, man. I feel like this is government-run radio, though, without your enthusiasm level today. <laughs> you will. <laughs> this is the voice of the Mr. Rant. That's what it, that's the <laughs> Captain Scarlet thing. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm still fighting this sinus infection or whatever. I, we were talking about it just a briefly, but Alex is uh, on tight, tight schedule today, so he can't even listen to my ailments and stuff. But yeah, I... It's like my ears None pop. of us can anymore. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, everyone's <laughs> giving it so Yeah, so that's it. So don't ask, you know, <laughs> that's it. You... Too easy, sorry. I mean, you loved that one to me. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you and say, like, I hate when people are like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, fine, how are you? Someone tweeted that the other day, like, has anyone ever answered anything other than, yeah, fine, how are you? I go, no, I always go, actually, severely depressed. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, but no, I just still fighting this sort of head cold sinusy thing that's hanging around. So that's definitely muting my uh, enthusiasm for stuff that actually involves me being sort of like there and actually having to read stuff out and that. So um, unfortunately, Alex said he's not going to talk lots in this this one. So um, I'll need to read out the questions and. We got a few good emails and stuff in as well, so I'll get there. We'll get through it. I- I'm a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> you you fight through that sinus infection, there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's funny. It's like we've talked about it before. You go on Google. You know, it was like getting a doctor's appointment in this country. We're so lucky. You know, NHS free free healthcare, free in inverted commas. You know, you pay your taxes, whatever, and. Um, it was like phone up and no the earliest you could get an appointment was like four day wait something like that um but you can call up on each day really early you know when the surgery's just opened and see if there's any cancellations for that day sort of thing so i was like i kind of like never nobody likes going to the doctors but i try and always avoid it 
But the problem is, you, what do you do in this day and age? You use Google. You go on Google. You type in what you've got. Yeah, that's cancer. Um, you know, and then <laughs> everything is everything AIDS. is cancer or AIDS. Yeah, and uh, that's the challenge. So um, <laughs> I, I will need to get another doctor's appointment though if it does hang around much longer because it is really frustrating now. Um, and it's went into like my ear. Anyway, I I'm on it. Let's. Alex, what have you been doing? You're right. Nobody wants to know. You know let's let's go. What's been uh, well? Let's let's assume nobody wants to hear about my life either. But I'll tell you guys anyway because I'm selfish and I want to talk about yeah. myself. I uh, yeah, things are going good. I'm this is my last day in Newark. I'm uh, I'm moving tomorrow to Queens. Oh, that's nice. Uh, there'll be no more gremlins. In the radiator now. Yeah, uh, there might be there might be radiator gremlins. That's kind of an East Coast thing, but uh, no, it's uh, I guess no, I don't like that. Life is good. I finally uh, the last couple times I've talked to you guys, I was just really burned out. I had a really hard time working. Uh, just my focus wasn't really there, and the way I work. Uh, I have a new book that's due in about a month. I'm, I wasn't too worried because when I work, I work hard, right? Like 7,000, 10,000 words a day. But it was getting kind of concerning how much my focus was waning. And it, now that I'm looking back on it a little bit more, it's a little bit more obvious. We've talked about this in the show, which is, you just can't go 24-7 all the time. And for three months, I was, like, I'd literally work through the weekends multiple times. I would do, like, I would work 11 days in a row. I was working till midnight, 2 in the morning, a lot of nights. Sometimes I'd work clear till 5 in the morning, sleep three hours, go lift weights, and go work more. And uh, the good thing about that is, that, well, first of all, I always tell people hard work Indiscipline is the great equalizer. I have very minimal talent when it comes to this game. And I, I, I really, when I hear, I see much more advanced players get lapped in this game because after a couple years, you need the work ethic. When you come into the game, you have a very natural process. You, It's like a child learning how to walk for the first time. And the best, the most talented will get a very adept strategy, like a very astute strategy. And, but after three years, that strategy is dated. It's very dated. And you have to, usually you don't have that natural enthusiasm anymore. So you have to proficiently, doggedly work every morning and get to it again. And I always talk about hard work and discipline will get you everywhere. But it was really put up or shut up time when I got to, the New York metropolitan area because that life moves fast here, man. That is not a stereotype. This is, this is war out here and everything is expensive and the taxes are crazy. You have to pay income taxes for the, you, I had to pay New Jersey income taxes. Then I had to pay United States income taxes. And then I had to pay Arizona income taxes last year. That which, seems all you do, Alex. That's <laughs> pay taxes. Now you might know why I'm a libertarian. Yeah. But uh, drink coffee and pay taxes. That's it. <laughs> that's what they'd have me do. No, uh, 
Well, I'll give you guys the broad strokes for why that is. Uh, a lot of poker players at the beginning, I, I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly, but uh, a lot of poker players that were really big in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, they got knocked by the IRS. Essentially, nobody was claiming anything, and the IRS got wise. And I know a lot of guys that owe two hundred, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, and they make the minimum five hundred and sixty-five dollar payment every month to the IRS. And I made my mistakes. I, the years I was drinking, and uh, you know, I was in a new city every five days. I was horrible with receipts. Uh, really bad with money. I actually came forward to the IRS and I said, like, look, I just. I owe you guys this much money, but I don't have it, to be quite frank. And they were really good with me, but you have to pay them eventually. And I'm, I'm getting to the point I'm almost done, right? But that's been a, like, yeah, that's literally been a five-year process, right? And now I'm starting to make the kind of money where you can take care of that pretty quickly. But, yeah, drink coffee and pay taxes. That's the, that's the big thing, right? Yeah. Well, and it kind of slows you down when you have to keep paying them. And then, uh, you know, you move to somewhere like New York or New Jersey. They just, you know, they take, they, they take your money and they're like, okay, like, that was fun. It's like, well, what do I get for that? And it's like, well, you got public transportation here. It's like, but I pay for that. Like, that's 40 bucks every week to use, right? Yeah. But, yeah, anyway. Um, no, it was really put up our shut-up time when I got to the New York <coughs> metropolitan area because the good thing about here is all the opportunity in the world is here, and relatively for the advanced world, tax, taxes are low. Uh, a lot of people pay, like, 25% here, whereas I think in uh, the United Kingdom, you guys pay... Uh, like 40, right? Or something like uh, that? Depending on levels of income. Uh, top right, end, top right. end is 40% up to 50%, I think. Okay, yeah, which is... yeah, And we have that, too. Like, if you're making a ton of money, you pay 50%, which... But... Most people no, pay 20% here. 20, yeah, yeah. which is, it's the same here. It's like 20, 25 for most people. But, yeah, the United States, like, pretty low taxes, pretty low regulation, but they're not going to help you with pretty much anything. Right. You know, like there's no healthcare system like you were talking about. There's no and uh, there's certain parts of the country that are really cheap and there's certain parts that are really expensive. And usually the parts that are expensive have a lot going for them. And here there's just so much I have so much access to intelligent people uh, who've helped me with my business. I have so many motivating forces around me. And in general, there's just a lot going on for me here. But. It's, you know, it's expensive here if you want to live here. And it was the ultimate put up or shut up. And I decided, well, you know, like put up. I'm going to I'm going to get to the point where I don't need to do four or five lessons every day to pay for, you know, my mom's health care, my my mom's uh, groceries, my my health care, my my place, uh, my taxes, all that. Like I'm going to get into a place where my business is. That glorious place Tim Ferriss talked about, automated, right? <laughs> you, uh, it's, it's funny because there's nothing harder in regards to work than passive income. <laughs> there is no such thing about, pa there's no passivity to passive income, right? But I'm finally getting to the point where I'm doing pretty well with these recorded lessons. 
I think the younger generation wants, they don't want a personal lesson, they want a video. They grew up on YouTube. Yeah. Right? So they want videos, they want intense strategy videos. I just looked at the market, I noticed, people thought I was insane when I started this. I said, I'm going to sell individual videos. And they said, poker websites are closing left and right. And they, poker training websites are closing left and right, and they offer thousands of videos for nineteen ninety nine a month. You think you're going to get somebody to pay $100 for four videos? I was like, not only do I think that, I know that. Because I looked at those training websites, and I noticed whenever you posted a theory video, like that video would get 20 times as many hits as any other video, and people would just be lighting it up, like, oh, this is exactly what I want. I thought, if I could bring this to the market for a very good price people will eat this up alive right but you know it takes time to get there but yeah you know i've been doing four or five lessons a day working saturdays working a lot of weekends and uh trying to have fun when i can but most of the time it'd be like me at a concert like falling asleep and things like that and uh yeah i finally the last couple of weeks i've had to slow down and go like hey uh i'm I'm moving in with my girlfriend like you, you can't be uh, you can't be around someone else all day and be in, like, attack killer mode. You can't be working till 2 in the morning and be in attack killer mode. So I stopped taking as many clients. Uh, I've taken, like, two students in the past, like, three months. Normally I'd take, like, 40. Uh, and I got it down to the point where I have, like, 20 openings next month, right? I've gotten most of the lessons down. So... I got to the point I could move in with my girl and I wouldn't be working in overdrive the whole time. Uh, I'm going to have to work quite a bit to get the book done. It's uh, I'm a little behind my schedule, but I think I should be okay. And yeah, you know, just recently, Barry, I've been feeling like rest is really important. It's really, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I never really understood that in my adult life. They always, they always talk about in the United States, like, oh, you know, don't mind him. Uh, you know, he grew up during the Great Depression, and you know he's just going to look at money differently than you, and he's going to look at work harder than you. And I, I've, I, I, thankfully, I didn't grow up in a depression, but I, I did. Uh, family was on government assistance. Uh, you know, I, things would get services would get cut off in our house. Eventually, we lost our house. Uh, not things just weren't so fun growing up. And, uh, yeah, going from that to a normal life, you you get into the habit of just, like, something bad can happen, something bad can happen, and you end up working all the time, because that's actually a very lazy way to deal with it. A very good way to deal with that would be, like, okay, time for me to go to therapy and work on this, because I'm going to put my, I'm going to put people around me through a living hell if I don't get get it in my head that I can relax. But, yeah, you know, uh, last few days I've been, well, the last few weeks I've been working out like five times a week, uh, been watching some spring training baseball, uh, reading a little bit more. My new thing is, uh, uh, do you like audiobooks, Barry, like yeah, Audible? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, God, dude, I'm addicted to them. Newark, New Jersey, by the way, is, uh, maybe I've mentioned this on the show before, but, uh, that's the headquarters of Audible. So they've actually done a lot with the city here. And 
I just love it, man. I my new thing is uh, I put on some sports biography or something like that. Those always really get me because I like the I like the stories of the old pros, like trying to get it together, trying to make one last go at the big leagues. That just gets me going in like a childish way. And yeah, I put on my sleeping mask and I put in my earbuds and I just listen to that for thirty minutes and drift away. And you're just so relaxed after that. It's so much better than watching TV. Are, I, I like TV, too, but, you know, it's like staring at another screen, right? It's not as restful. Oh, I did actually watch a TV show, by the way. Uh, this is a big thing for me. I finished Westworld, which turned out to be pretty good. Have you seen that show? No, no. Uh, it's, a, it's fun. It's got, it's got Anthony Hopkins. It's, like, it's not as good as everybody says it is, but it's pretty good. But, yeah. I've been trying to be like you, Barry. I'm trying to chill. Maybe we can talk movies at some point. Oh, I saw a movie recently, too. Annihilation. Natalie Portman. Good stuff. Lots of sci-fi I've seen recently. Yeah, man. I'm chilling. I got to move tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot, but uh, I'm going to try to give away even more. I'm getting I'm getting really into this, like, minimalist philosophy. Have you ever noticed, Barry, kind of when you show up in a hotel room, how calm you feel because everything is so clean? And, well, hopefully if you're in the right hotel, maybe not some of the places I was on on the tour. But uh, you ever notice how good you feel in a hotel because it's so empty and so clean? Yeah, yeah, minimalist. I'm big on that. I'm really big on that. I'm uh, I'm trying to, like, my girlfriend and I, in preparation for this move, we're just throwing away everything, dude. Like, she's made four runs to the Salvation Army. I gave away, between my move from Kearney to Newark, I, uh, one of my, uh, one of my friends here, she's, uh, an older lady from Honduras, and, uh, I just gave her family, like, all the clothes I never wear anymore, and it's kind of, it's, uh, they're my neighbors, so it's, it's kind of funny just seeing the, uh, the, the husband walking around with death metal shirts and stuff like that, but it's also nice to see because I just want somebody to use it, right? And I'm not using it anymore. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the other, I don't know, this is, I had some free time the other day and she asked me, could you go pick up my son at school? And I thought this is kind of weird, but yeah, okay. So I walked in there. I, I don't know why I found this so funny, but, like, I'm the one white guy in Newark. I have literally never seen another white person on my block, right? So I walked into an elementary school, and I said, like, hey, I'm here to pick up, and I had to, like, read the name. Luis Flores, right? And they're, like, thinking, is this, you know, this some, like, white predator here? Like, what I'm the hell are you doing in Newark? <laughs> Huh? You're going to snatch the kid. Yeah. Like, they were calling the mom. They were calling the grandma. They were calling everyone. And meanwhile, the kid was just showing me his Pokemon cards. I was like, you guys still play with this stuff? Like, man, this is, this is sick. Like, it, it seemed, man, and like, the United States is so different, Barry. It's, uh, like, my elementary schools were pretty nice. Like, this one looked pretty bad, dude. It was... Like, you walk in, there's, like, three cops holding shotguns. I was like, I guess the school shooting stuff is real. Jesus Christ. Like, this is... And, of course, I walk in there. I'm like, yeah, I know. I look like the suspect. Hold on. I'll hold it. I'll wait for you to check me. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know, doing a whole lot of, you know, packing and uh, finishing off my lessons before I move, working on my book, stuff like that. Life is good, man. What you been up to? 
Um, I've been I've been sick, so not doing much. Um, I'm going to just throw us right into the questions here and a few emails. Sure, we got because, a bunch of them too. Yeah, yeah. we've got a ton of them, and I know Alex is tight today as well. So rather than uh, if yeah, it was we got just, forty minutes, we'll go. We'll do it. Let's go. Fire off the new one. Yeah, I was just saying, if it was just my illness and you picking up a kid from school, I mean, that's got to be the lowest <laughs> of the lowest. <laughs> I mean, uh, even I for us, that's pretty poor. It's, so. it's my it's my podcast, bro. Yeah. It's uh, I will do whatever the hell I want. I want to remember the time I walked into a fortress that was called a school. Now let's get into the questions. <laughs> okay, this one is a thank you letter, which is always nice. So I'm going to just read this out verbatim. It's from Nick Rescetti or Nick Rescetti. Um. Alex, I'm writing to thank you, not for a fat bankroll or anything grandiose as you might find in a testimonial for some other poker coach, but as a grateful admirer of your process, discipline and approach to poker and life itself. Admittedly, I am the segment of your audience, however fiercely loyal, that purchases the 75% of deals that you email us on occasion. I listened firstly to an interview you did on Smart Poker Study Podcast. I was blown away by your interview, and I have been a fan of the One Outer podcast ever since. Here's proof. Barry says all the time, I can hear myself back, Alex. <laughs> Actually, I was nearly doing that this episode, um, but Alex is getting slightly better at muting my mic. Um, I now will master the flop, Life Poker 101, and the Undisputed Champion of the World, Master Tournament Poker in one class. A few years of podcasts and life lessons later, I can say that you're my poker coach, even though I'm well aware that I have never paid for such privileged service. See above for the 75% off. Here's the thing about myself, and I suspect the same is true for much of your audience. We like poker, yes. We are losing players, yes, obviously. Why else are we listening to a poker podcast at midnight on a Tuesday? Also the next morning and most of the way through each workday. But we're good in other aspects of life. We might even excel in other aspects of life. So why are we stuck here? I think you've mentioned many times just how much biology we are up against with every decision we make in a poker tournament. You've also talked at length about what it takes to be professional. This is profound, profound and I have taken your words to heart. When I first heard you say, I'm betting because X because it needs to work X percentage of the time and the field folds X percentage of the time, I froze and grinned from ear to ear. This made perfect sense to me, and I had never heard this game discussed in these terms. The result of applying your process and methods has resulted in many final tables, many caches, and many frustrating I-just-threw-my-poker-tournament-away-with-top-pair moments. We learn and we get better. If nothing else, at least we have the one-outer podcast to straighten us out on our way to a weekend of final tables, caches, and hopefully not for much longer, throwing our tournament away. Thank you again, and greetings from Toronto. Let's let's go, Blue Jays, um, Nick. That's, so, that's awesome. I, I thought there was a question, and that's why I forwarded it to you, although I really do love you reading that out. Yeah, no, it was, I, it was one of these ones I read through it, and I, I thought that the listeners would get something from it. And again, I agree with them. I think that's the concept that always sticks with me from my original lesson with yourself, uh, like seven years ago or something now, 2011, I think it was, something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It was either 2011 or 2012. I think it was 2011. And um, actually, it might even be 2010. I don't know. That's whatever. It was a long time ago. And uh, yeah, it seems like yesterday, you know, in a weird way. Like, life's kind of like that, like fleeting moments, just, you know, uh, just, you blink. 
But I just thought that concept went, you need to bet X amount of the time. I mean, that's always good to reiterate on that show. And we do always like nice letters coming and saying, you know, because I we play it down, both of us. We're kind of self-deprecating in terms of the podcast, etc. But we know tons of you email in questions, tons of you send in thank you letters. I don't read every one of them out because I don't want to just be Trump, like, retweeting all the positive fan mail and just coming on and reading all the positivity. <laughs> but it is good now and again to when someone takes the time like that to write in an email of that length to, to read it out. But, yeah, don't make a habit of it, please, because I don't want to just read all, <laughs> read all those emails out. You can massage my ego as much yeah. as you guys want. You so, go ahead and send them in. We might not read them out, but I'll, uh, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll read them. Yeah, so thanks for writing in, Nick. Um, so the first question we'll go into is from Brad, and he's actually sent in two questions. So we'll, we'll give him them. Um, Alex asked for these to be bumped to the top of the list uh, just a few hours before the show, so... Um, I just picked the questions out because there was quite a few emails. Um, question one, I have played in a few tournaments like the Friday $130 at the Orleans, which is full of crazy players who call any two cards and think it is even better and more enticing to get into four, five and six way pots early on with garbage hands. The average age is over 50 and these players seem to believe that it's good poker because they will say they're getting such great odds to call with hands like King-5 offsuit. I think this comes from limit poker thinking. Anyway, how would you adjust this system? They just don't respect 3.5x to 4x or even higher preflop raises or 3 bets. They just aren't playing the right way, in my opinion. I feel like... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. He has put that in inverted commas as well. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, he, he yeah. was playing with it. Okay, okay. Yeah, in my opinion. I feel like the novice karate student who tries some newly learned techniques against an unorthodox opponent who isn't fighting the right way. Again, he's put those That's in, a good in, analogy. That's uh, a great analogy. Sorry, go ahead, Barry. Again, he's put those in inverted commas. So, and I think this is in relation to your latest product as well. He's trying to adapt some of the strategies from that, Alex. So. Oh, that's actually... That's great. So, okay, first thing I want to say about the first letter that came in, I just loved... I, I just had a few more thoughts while you were reading that one. I loved it that the guy said, we're losing players, but we love the game, and we're successful in other things in life, and we just love having this before we go out for another weekend of final tables and shortcomings and all that. Like, didn't that just make you love poker again, Barry, reading that email? And when you were reading it out, too, that made me really love it. That I, You made it come alive for me. I, I just, I felt like we needed a moment to realize that was a great letter. That was... Because that's really what the show is about, and I think that's why you read that letter out, is we're all still figuring this out. This is a tough game. This is a really tough game. And, yeah, it's supposed to be fun. And I, I really love that that gentleman focused on it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be about playing final tables and stuff like that. That was uh, – I, I, I made a final table last week. I finally got to play some poker, too, Barry. That was pretty fun. Uh, I made a final table last week at a 10K guaranteed. And it's just like it's so magical to play online poker still to me. Like, you could be – I was at the corner store getting, like, a coconut juice, and then, like, an hour later you're, like, playing for thousands of dollars. Like, who gets to do this? Mm. So amazing. I just love that first letter. I just wanted to say thanks for that before we got in. But – 
Well, yeah. On that, what I was just going to say regards that because the reason I did read it out is because it did resonate, and I did. I thought it would resonate with a lot of our listeners, and again, going back to like our usual delivery, like we'll be self-deprecating, but no one's kidding anyone on here. Uh, the work you put in in poker, you know, I, I do zero work, but the work you put in. <laughs> Um, it definitely deserves the rewards, and people who follow it and and key, you know, is applying it, buying one of your products, whether it's first out or whether it wait till a discount, whatever, buy your product and then put that into practice, they will get results. And it got me thinking about, you know, the the poker. You made a final table, and you've you know online etc. And this guy said, oh, we play for the final table. If you actually think about it, you're actually only playing poker. The game has no end. The stakes are, mm-hmm. are sort of limitless or, or within reason limitless. You know, you can keep playing. You don't win a tournament and then, oh, you've won a tournament now. You can't ever play a tournament again because you've won yours. So so even, like, people feel, I get this sense, like, people are looking for this, like humans do. They want to start a middle and a finish. So they've started, it was all fun, then they've realised the reality of variance, or they've ran bad, or they've bust so many bankrolls, then they start studying and applying it, and then they expect, well, where's the next, the finish, the third part? I've, I've studied the game, I'm studying the game, I want, I'm playing, I'm putting in volume, but I'm still not getting this break, I'm still not getting this score, or I'm still not you know, playing high stakes, mm. or whatever. And I think the key is, it doesn't matter, there is no end. And the best sort of analogy I can use, if you go and win a tournament for 50,000, once it's done, that's it. You know, you've won the tournament, you got a little, maybe a trophy and the money, and the money's nice, obviously, but that's it. It's like, well, okay, it was 50,000, well, it wasn't 100,000, you know, it wasn't a bracelet. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it wasn't 2.4 million or whatever, or live TV table. <laughs> So now I'm going to go and do that, and then you do that, and then you get to one of these final tables, and then it's like, oh, I got fourth, you know, for like 400,000, and it wasn't the title. And I think if you're tagging your happiness to that, again, it goes back to we've hammered this point to death that, um, actually, I don't think we have, because I think it's critical to that we all need reminding of it. The key is the process, and that's all you can control, and that's all you should enjoy, the journey. And again, the analogy I would use is like myself, when I'm looking for stuff like rare items to sell and buy and sell, whatever, the the rush and the real enjoyment is the hunt and then finding that collection of stuff and getting it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's like, oh, it's the next one. And that's why the best find is always the next one, you know, because all the previous ones are done. So you're always like, oh, that's that. Like, when am I going to get my next one? And it's kind of like poker, like you say, you never know when you're going to final or what, you know, you're at the shop, like you said. I've thought that before. You come home, the nights you're like, maybe, will I play tonight? Nah, I'm not going to play. Or then you go, okay, I'll end up playing. You put up like two tables and whatever aligns, you're playing well, you run good and you're at a final table in first like 20,000. And you're like, that's when it is magical, like the word you used. And that's what we do play for, everyone plays for. And it's worth reminding that with tournament poker, you know, you, I don't think you can beat that in terms of poker. I don't, I don't think cash poker comes close to uh, the tournament poker when you, when you final. Don't get me wrong, you know, cash poker day to day. If you just want to play and like stop and start, whatever, yeah. But if you want that, 
I know we shouldn't play for thrills in us, but wh- why not? Wh- wh- who said that anymore? You know, that was yeah, that exactly. robotic exactly. stuff. I think right. we should play for our thrills and rushes, and especially when it's not your, your main income. I get a rush out of being poor and playing this game because it can change your life. And I almost love that more than the money. I don't know if that makes me sick, but I just love it. I, I don't... <laughs> there. There's many times I walk around Newark, New Jersey, and I look around and I go, I would never be in this city if I hadn't fallen on some hard times. I would have never seen the city. And there was a lot of times I go, I'm really glad things didn't work out perfectly because when I go to the Dominican restaurant here now, I have a bunch of Dominican friends. When I go to the corner store, I know a bunch of people there. I know a bunch of people on my block. And I have had the experience of living in Newark for six months. And it's been a very positive experience. And if I had just won a tournament... Like you're saying, like the the game never ends. Like if I at, at EBT San Remo, I was 21 years old. Uh, if I had won that tournament, I would have get taken two million dollars. I think it would have ruined my life. I really think it would have ruined my life. Uh, I would have had no idea what to do with it. Uh, I probably would have blown it on playing more poker and backing more people. I didn't know anything about anything at that time. Uh, Furthermore, it would have deprived me of many of the best experiences in my life. I got really, what I think is good at poker, because we discussed the work ethic here that I have, and I, I'm very flattered when you guys bring that up, because that's one of very few things I have quite a bit of, uh, I don't know if the right word's prideful, but I, I'm very protected about, like I'm very protective of my work ethic, and very concerned about my work ethic and the hours I put in and the quality of those hours. But to be fair to others who haven't done that, it's very hard to put in the work if you don't need to. If I, I'm, there's a lot of times it sounds strange, but I'm very grateful. My family didn't have money because if my dad could have just put me in any college I wanted, well, it's not really a game then. It's not... I like being the journeyman. I like doing it on my own. I like how it's up to me at the end of the day. And I like when I fail, I can look in the mirror and go, you did this. And when I succeed, I can look in the mirror and say the exact same three words. You did this. Nobody helps me. And I, I read so many sports biographies growing up, and I loved them. I read... I, it was always baseball. I don't know why baseball. I played football. I was a much better football player, uh, but I, I was not good at baseball. Baseball, you have to be very mentally tough. It's a game of failure, and I just didn't have it. But I read books about baseball constantly, and I'm I'm reading this book right now. It's called Ball Four. It's absolutely hilarious. It's uh, but uh, it's about a guy in the seventies. Uh, he's playing baseball in Seattle uh, when they get their expansion team. And he's got this uh, new pitch. He's 30 years old. He's got this new pitch that he's working on. And if this pitch doesn't work out, he's out of the major leagues. Right? And that's it. Like, that's it. 30 years old, my age. He's done. And like you said, what's magical about poker is you and I, Barry, technically could be playing this game when we're 80 years old. If we take good enough care of our body... We could be great players at 80 years old. That's another 50 years, or for you, 
you know, like 22. I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> like, but, uh, I don't know if you keep wheezing as we get on these podcasts, buddy, I'm starting to get worried. But, I you know, know. I, I know. Sorry. Like sorry. It was too, it was getting too serious for me there. I had to break up the tension, but, uh, it, it is amazing that, like, we could, if I played poker heads up with Doyle Brunson, I think he'd stomp my ass. Like, I think he'd beat me up. Like, he's that good. And he's, what, he's got to be in his 80s now. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not, he's not the picture of health either. I, I, I've heard he really loves dessert. But, uh, like, <laughs> I've honestly heard that multiple times. Like, what was it like playing in Bobby's room with Doyle? He loves dessert. What? I yeah, do I mean, as well. Yeah, I love it. apple pie. A- apple. I'm so American. God help. I do. I remember. I always remember on high stakes poker, um, Gabe Kaplan commentating, going, uh, "This pot, you know, it was like I'm paraphrasing, but it was like two hundred eighty thousand or whatever." And uh, Phil Ivey's more interested in his strawberry sundae, and you've seen him, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like scoffing this down. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's true. It is true. I mean, well, you have to be a little different at that point to get that far. But that's the, yeah, that letter really captured, I think, like the beauty of the game, which is also anybody listening to this show could beat me any day of the week. Like, I I know all the tricks that work against my tricks, and I, I can apply them, but you can catch me. You can catch me any day. I'm never going to catch Michael Jordan on a bad day and beat him, right? The guy could be blindfolded with one arm behind his back. He could shoot better than me. But it's amazing to me listening to... I I was always fascinated with journeyman athletes, you know what I mean? Like going from different city to different city, trying to make it work, trying to find that form, trying to find something real in a world that's usually dictated by zoning restrictions and who's your dad and you know the, the what's what's your skin color just what finding something real in that just seems so beautiful to me and then and then it just kind of occurred to me today like holy hell i i've been that dude you know i had to I, this is like the sixth time i've moved into a place right and like had to buy everything for it because I had to do that in Seoul back when games were popping there. I had to do that in Europe when things were going really well there. Uh, I did it when coast, in Costa Rica. I did it. I've done it on both sides of the United States now. It's a. It's just an experience, and I, I think yeah, it captured. It's an experience, and one of those experiences. This game at the Orleans, which sounds. By the way, this sounds like a magical game. By the way, everybody in their fifties, sixties, and seventies, five, six callers to a flop. This might not be the correct way to play poker, but I'm pretty happy about it. But just like you said, even though you might be a karate master, if you come out and get into a drunk pissing for distance contest with uh, the local drunk at the bar, you know, he might just kick you right, you know, in the the male region and get get one over on you. And it sounds like that's happened to you a few times here. But let me say what I think... I usually just keep making the raise size bigger until I get one caller, which makes me really unpopular at the table, but it tends to work. Like, I have no... The funny thing is, you say, like, they don't respect 5, 6, 7x. My second thought is, why not make it 20? If they're just... if there's, It sounds like there's one guy there that would flash you. Why not make it 20? 
Now, I'm letting you know, you're going to go through buy-ins like water, but you can stack people like nothing. I've done this. I've played in wild games like this before. Me too. And they're fun. Yeah, rebuys. Yeah, you just make it 20x. They call, you hit a pair, get it in. Have fun, right? And uh, it, another thing, I do a lot of limp re-raising here. One, one of my students is so good at this. Uh, he does it a lot in tournament. He's so smart. He's in his, because uh, he's in his uh, 50s, I think. And he, uh, he'll he just limp in the way people do in their 50s. And then, like, one 22-year-old kid will, like, iso-raise him, and he'll get really pissed off looking and jam on the kid, and the kid, like, makes a hero call with ace-10, and he just tables his aces, like, nice job, buddy. Like, well, well done. And, and everybody goes, that's such a terrible play. I'm like, you just committed 52x with ace-10. I think he beat you, right? I, I, I love this thing. Have you ever seen this, Barry, at the card room, like, guys in their 20s and 30s? Like, if an old guy beat you, he must have gotten lucky. It's like, and, and or he beat you, yeah. right? I. It's actually better to say he beat you, then you can beat, you can develop from it. But if you just say, you know, he got lucky, you can't do anything. But yeah, I just make it 20x there. A lot of times I just limp in. I let somebody raise and then I come over the top. Always trying to get one guy. Uh, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's not pretty. There's a lot of times I just make it 20x and everybody folds to me. But the great thing about those games is they'll start going, you're ruining the game. And somebody's going to try to call and slow you down. And, well, then, expect the fireworks. But, yeah, uh, the way I play those, if that's a 1-2 game, I'll I'll either lose 600 or I'll make 2,000. There doesn't seem to be anything between the two. And, yeah, if you have three of those sessions in a row, it hurts. But it, it's I, I think that would be best for you. Now, let's hear the second question. Yeah, the second question is, have you seen the big blind pays the ante structure that the Aria, Win, and soon other rooms like the Venetian are going to adopt? The cost per orbit is the same, but the antes start out from level 1 and the big blind posts it. I saved, it saves time making change, theoretically, and a dealer can get in maybe 10% more hands per level. Later in the tournament, though, it seems to penalise the short and medium stacks. I think it forces more all-in confrontations and makes tournament poker even more aggressive and based on short-term luck in terms of who will finish in the top one to five places. How would you adjust the make... Uh, you've got... Yeah, master... He's put the... Uh, <laughs> just the initials <laughs> in the system. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. Uh, so how would you adjust the master tournament poker in one class system to the questions above? Thank you very much, Alex, and thank you, Barry, for such a great podcast. Um, <clears throat> I don't like this. I haven't thought about it till just now, literally. Uh, I heard it was a thing, and I ignored it, because I'm, I'm really good at pushing things out of my head when I have other stuff to do, but... So, so what's the deal? They, they pay all the annies, like everybody's annies? I have not looked at it, Alex, either, but I, I saw people tweeting about it or something when I was on Twitter, or, let me see what he's got, he's got the big blind pays the ante, so the big blind pays the ante structure that the area when and sooner, the cost per orbit is the same, but the ante okay, So, so you're just paying nine times the ante if it's a nine-handed table, do I have that right? I, I'm assuming so, but it sounds to me like, but... 
I don't know what big blind pays the ante. So is it just the big blind putting in the ante from the off, from level one as well, or in the antes? Or is everyone playing the ante? Because I played online tournaments on Stars where it's been from level one. The ante gets posted. Everyone pays the ante. You know, it's like... Right, but everyone puts it in. Yeah, everyone puts it in. Well, uh, I hate this. Uh, if I understand this correctly, which he just said the cost per orbit is the same. So I'm assuming yeah. he's saying the cost per orbit is the same as if everybody posts the ante. I hate this because one of the great reasons what I call Moneyball Poker wins is, let's say you open a 4X from a 30 big blind stack, right? Like, now that's way too big of a raise. But let's say you just open a 4X are 3.5. Everybody thinks you're weird. Uh, you open from the cutoff, everybody thinks you're weird, but on the button, there's a guy with ace-nine offsuit, and normally he would have three-bet you with any ace, but now he's kind of weirded out and he folds. Uh, the guy with pocket fours in the small blind. These are extreme cases, but I've seen it happen. Normally, he would three-bet like a 2.5x open, but he's kind of weirded out, and he doesn't want to flatten, he doesn't want to three-bet, so he just folds. Um... Everybody folds. People don't realize, like, 2.5x, that's almost 10% of your chips. And that's how much is out there with the blinds and annies. And the reason people give it up so easily is because it... The reason people give it up so easily is because they're giving out such small amounts, right? It's like, oh, it's just an annie chip, whatever, right? Whereas... If you put... If I got that big blind coming along, along with that big annie... I. I might play a little bit more. And by the way, playing is usually not a bad idea. So the other thing I hate about this is right now there's this huge leak, which is if you open a 3.5x, your most likely caller is going to be the big blind. And nine times out of ten, if you take the – like, they'll have jack-5 suited and they'll call, right? Because that's what you do with 2.5x. So, And I want to play poker, so I call. But calling Jack Five suited with 3.5x, a lot of times you'll do the card runner's EV calc, and the guy's losing money. And it's like, well, that money's got to go to someone, so it's probably me, right? Now, if you, this guy has more invested in the pot, now he's got a profitable call, which, and I think he's going to play a little... Uh, this could be a good thing, too, though, if you just have the big blind call everything, and now you can just triple barrel... Like, constantly. It just adjusts the game. I don't know why people are saying, like, this is a good thing. I just don't see... The thing I, I love when the Annies come in, in tournaments, right? Because now, mathematically, you can do a lot of things, right? There's a lot of times, like, a guy opens at 2.5x, and I make it 8.5, and everybody looks at me like I just... Uh, I had a lot of really bad things go through my head there, but everybody looks at me as if I, I'm a sex offender who just walked in, right, or something. I, they, they look as if I committed a faux pas, like a serious faux pas, right? But then everybody folds, and that's like five big blinds, right? Five big blinds is a knockout in No Limit Hold'em. That's pocket kings. Everybody just calls me stupid and gives it away, but now... Let's say that big blind out there, he has essentially a double big blind out there. He might not want to fold so easily if he's seen me three-betting a little bit more, which I don't like. I don't like that. 
And, but if everybody just puts out their ante there, nobody cares. I don't know why these big players are saying this is a good thing. It's just one of those, like, look, I'm in vogue. I like something new. I don't get it. Is there something I'm missing, Barry? Like, you pay more attention to poker media than I do. Not not recently again. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good job, Barry. Yeah, you got, Barry's trying to find King Tut's tomb or whatever with his antiques, right? His, uh, his vase. No, uh, I think people give away money when it's just a pissant amount every time, uh, as opposed to if you make one guy commit a lot. I think people aren't used to that, whereas everybody just kind of wings in the ante and forgets about it constantly. And if people are playing back more, then you can't bluff as much. And newsflash, guys, poker is all bluffing. That's what separates it from a table game. If you're waiting for a hand, that's the same as playing Keno. So anything that prevents me from bluffing as incredulously as I'm able to do sometimes is not something I welcome. I I understand it's in the casino's best interest because it's easier for the dealers. I do like playing more hands. I think I'll be able to adjust to this. I'll just get the big blind to correct me call correctly call me pre flop and completely mess it up flop turn and river. But it's not as easy money as everybody just posting their annies and forgetting about it. I'm not a fan. Next, Ann. Next, uh, next question. Yeah, I think an important one with that as well is the recreational players. The guys that you want to be playing tournaments again are these 50, 60-year-olds. And when they implement changes like this, they can feel mm-hmm. like they, are ha- they want to go and sit and play Keno Bingo, as we call it in the UK. They want to go and sit and rock up um, and sit tight for hours and wait on their kings, ace, king, queens, jacks, etc. And, you know, you can play your game and rob them, you know, until they've got whatever left to play those hands, etc. And they want to sit and play it recreationally and enjoy their money. They, f- they want to be... They don't register a poker tournament thinking, I'm going to be out in the first 20 minutes or half an hour. They want to make a day of it and have a few drinks and stuff, usually. <laughs> so I think even just looking at it from that type of uh, sort of perspective it can put off a lot of the players that you actually want to be playing tournament poker against how am i going to explain to a 52 year old guy hey thank you for coming to my tournament now pay a double big blind from the beginning yeah yeah like is that really going to bring in business that's fine and then now every time i raise this big blind he's going to be a little pissed at me like whereas if it was just an annie from the beginning i'm pretty sure you just wing it in and forget it i don't like this i don't i don't no, I don't... I get that... But by the way, how much do we tip the dealers? Is it... Like, I tip pretty well when I win tournaments, right? They already get the 3% out of me, and then I'm at, if I don't tip a percentage, they might just post on 2 plus 2 NVG, right? Uh, I don't think they... I, I get you can get a few more hands in, but, like, I... I think most dealers, most dealers I talk to are pretty proficient at this. I don't think it makes things much harder for them. Mm. The real There's a right way to get the annies. You just wait till it's in front of everybody, and then you go by one person, one person, one person. It's like you forgot, right? And if somebody forgets the ante up, it's on us, the players, not the dealer, to be the jerk all the time. 
it's on us to, like, you know, do a soft rap on the table, like, Annie up there, right? It's not, if that's, if it's hard for the dealers, a lot of times that's our fault. We need to step up, right? But, yeah, any, anyhow. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so this one is from Chris. And this will be the last question for today, because Alex is tight on time. So I am one of those poker nerds who enjoys watching all televised streaming, YouTube, poker events, etc. Recently, I noticed a trend where a player with position will call another player's open raise, then call the flop and turn bets. Most of the time, the open aggressor will have a capped range, and the pre-flop caller will have top pair, decent or strong kicker. When the river arrives, the pre-flop aggressor will check, for I am assuming can be for lots of reasons. But then the pre-flop caller will shove all in or overbet the river with a hand that is in the top of his flop turn calling range or top of his bluff catching range. Every single time, the player turns his top pair hand into a bluff, making the pre-flop aggressor fold the best hand. It happens at least a dozen times by various players. It seems players who have cap ranges out of position can easily be exploited. I'm wondering if you would have any ideas on this interesting phenomena. If not, no big, Chris. Hey, Chris. Uh, what you're seeing there is a very advanced play, which you will not see at MLS Poker. You won't see online. You won't. You probably won't even see it at WPTs in the States, uh, to be quite frank. Uh, you're not going to see that in Montreal. You're not going to see that in Atlantic City. You're not going to see that in most of Las Vegas tournaments. You're not going to see that uh, unless you're playing one of the big W Coop or Scoops or any of that. You're never going to see that. You'll see it from a couple guys in America's card room, but not like if you're playing one of their million-dollar tournaments. Like It's not going to happen 99% of the time. And generally, I try to stay the hell away from players like this because – that's a very advanced move. By the way, when I was making Master Tournament Poker in one class, I, I started with basic questions, which was, how would I teach someone to play if they were playing against people who were incapable of turning hands into bluffs, right? So I went and found the data, and I went, nobody turns a hand into a bluff. The, the numbers do not support that, right? Then I created a strategy for that. And that's why we're all doing pretty well now. A lot of my students seem to be doing well, and I I seem to like my game quite a bit now. And But what you're seeing here is a very high-level poker play, which is, yeah, when you check the river, you've just capped your range. I think you're almost better. There's a lot of times people see me on the flop. Like, this happened in, God help me if I ever get the idea to play in Eastern Europe again, but... They could do this in Eastern Europe. Like, they could do this in, or excuse me, they call themselves Central Europe. The Czech Republic, right? But most of the players were Eastern Europe, European. You couldn't check the river because they knew you had an overpair at best, right? And they would just rip it on you if they thought you'd fold it, if they thought, oh, crap. Like, my top pair second, you know, my top pair second kicker, I, I don't want to take any risks. I'm all in, Right? They have that capability. Like, people in the States, quite frankly, don't do that. They just, they're just, it's kind of like, let me show down my hand, let me see if I'm good, right? When I played the Irish Poker Open, they never did that. Uh, it's, it's just not a popular strategy in the English-speaking world, in a lot of the English-speaking world. However, uh, Russians and countries that were forced to speak Russian 
have different forums, and certain plays are much more popular in those forums, and this is one of them. And uh, Germans are another one of these groups that do that really well. And then a lot of a lot of the American high-stakes players are super educated now. Like, a, lo- a lot of these guys, I listen to these guys talk cards when I'm lucky enough to be in the same room as them, and I, I think, like, I'm not in this guy's zip code. This guy's been playing poker for three years. He could... Like, if a table full of me would be an easy table to him, right? And uh, those guys will see you're capped, and they'll be, you know, they'll go, I've got second pair top kicker, uh, but I, I don't know. I think he's checking back a lot of top pairs. I think he would have turned a lot of worse hands into a bluff, and I think he's checking a lot of better hands. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move all in, and I'll see what you do. And I think it's very scary to play against somebody who's capable of that. The other thing that does is that sets up that guy really well later if he slow plays you, if he, he does the old Johnny Chan rope-a-dope with middle set, right? If you A lot of times that play doesn't work because you, you, you check to a guy in the river and then he just, God, it's so funny when people do this live. Like the guy hasn't touched a chip all day. He's afraid to three bet, but now he looks like, all right, I guess I'm all in on the river. It's like, yeah, I, I don't think my jacks on the 10-8-6 board are good here, but okay. Uh, whereas versus those guys, I can't do that. I can't just auto-muck because, yeah, he might do that with Queen-10, right? But this is why in Eastern Europe, sorry, I, for, I forgot to say this, people would see think it was so weird when I was time banking on the flop a lot and that was because I was trying to find a bet amount that would get the most value and would not see me checking the river, right? So I was trying to get figure out, like, what could I get away with? Could I get away with 40? Because if I think I go 50%, 50%, 50%, I'm not getting called by anything worse on the river. Uh, but if I go, like, 30% on the flop, he's going to know I'm trying to set it up for a triple barrel. So, like, what can I get away with? Will 38% work? Does it have to go to 40 in change, could I just get away with 40? What cards am I going to triple barrel on? In this kind of poker, it's actually it's really fun for me as an intellectual enterprise. I don't think it's very profitable to be playing against people that good, which is why, I mean, hell, you can, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's watching, like, if you play at the LAPC, you'll be playing against people like that. But if you play, like, a 3500 WPT or you play, like, a WCP circuit event, you'll never have to deal with this. And, by the way, you'll still be playing for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that tends to be the type of poker I focus on. That tends to be the type of poker I try to prepare my students for. And that's the ball game. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up, Barry. Yeah, that's all the that's the time, sorry, uh, call time. We need to get some sort of what's it in ice hockey? Is that like the famous do 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 do? Is that near when the time's <laughs> running out or something? We need no, some, I, don't, I don't know what that is. I know no, that's it's just sport. a little break or something. Yeah, I yeah, they, they do. They they play they play funny things when people go into the penalty box. That's what I know. I want to break free. Anyway, yeah, let's go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, we won't do that. But we'll, that that you've had your lot for this week's episode of Ask Alex on the com podcast. Uh, keep your questions coming in, questions at com on email. Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your various products, etc.? 
You guys can write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. Follow me on Twitter at the Assassinato. And the creme de la creme of my free content is my newsletter. You can go to pokerheadrush.com, which is my blog, which I update three times a year now. Uh, but no, if you go to my blog, there's book reviews, trip reports, stuff like that. Some of the more fun stuff. And you can sign up for my newsletter in the top right. And that newsletter comes out four or five times a week with new content, new articles, exclusive articles, podcasts, YouTube videos, uh, all that good stuff. So be sure to sign up for that. Yeah, and just to say again, thanks very much for all the questions that came in. And to Nick that wrote in the really nice email thanking Alex and myself for doing the podcast. And um, we do hope that everyone does get stuff out of the show. And we know that you do. So do keep the questions coming in because as always, there is no show without any questions. It is literally me talking about sore heads and aches and pains and Alex going for a <laughs> coffee. I mean, that is it. Although I still think our hardcore listeners would tune in. So, but I no, think do, they would. Yeah. They do me talk about questions. drinking coffee and paying taxes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drinking coffee, paying taxes, and then, yeah, I think, you know, I've got some sort of tropical disease. Um, so, yeah, that's all time we got. Thanks for listening. See you all next Thursday. Cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed is back from February 25th to March 25th. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, February 25th, and it's bringing to the table over $15 million in guarantees over four weeks. Yep, that's $15 million, our most exciting endeavor yet, with three massive main events. We're talking three consecutive tourney series, and it all starts with Moss, our mini online super series, beginning February 25th. Then, on March 5th, our flagship OSS, that's Online Super Series, drops. And on March 19th, The Boss, the bigger Online Super Series. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. And with the weekly Million Dollar Sunday Tournament, it's something you can't afford to miss. Moss, OSS, or Boss? Whether you choose one or all, this is absolutely huge, and it's waiting for you at America's Card Room.